0: Hey, everybody, welcome to Bedside Matters, the podcast that addresses the medical issues that impact every single one of us every single day. We're hopefully going to give you the answers you're looking for so you can be more informed and healthier. Uh, I'm Peter Tillman. I'm joined by Dr. David Kipper. Hello, David. Hi, Peter. And Anna Vecchino. Anna, are you good?
1: I'm doing great. How about you?
0: Very well. And I'm excited about today's episode because we're going to cover a
1: lot of things. Oh, yes, we are. We are going to cover sleep slash dreaming slash melatonin. We're going to talk about performance anxiety. We're going to talk about that thing where you have fear that you're going to live past when your parents passed away. Does that make sense? You know that time of life? Um, Hopefully, everybody who's listening has alive parents, but if you don't, you know what I'm talking about. And also, uh, centurions. So, they're all going to be discussed by our caller.
2: I'm so pleased to introduce a friend of the show and the actual, in the flesh, Albert Einstein.
1: Welcome to the show, Albert Einstein.
3: Thank you, folks. Maybe you want to say the other name, too. Albert Brooks. Otherwise, I can't deduct this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Albert, we had a question weeks ago. You know, the Albert Einstein Medical Center had proclaimed something. And I wondered, can anybody tag Albert Einstein to like, Albert Einstein Middle School and co-opt that name?
3: I have no claim to the name.
0: <laughs> well,
2: actually.
3: I think the truth is anybody can take any name. Mm. Unless you're, like, in the same actor's union. That's why you got I, Michael B. Jordan. That's you got stuff like that. But If you want to do Albert Einstein steelworks, I think you can do it. I'm opening up Albert Einstein yogurt on Melrose. So, I hope it's like <laughs> it.
0: so Albert, do you have a medical question?
3: Well, I am calling just to support you. I thank God right now. I don't think there's anything horribly wrong, but there certainly will be at some point. So let me think of that. You know, I always, uh, I'm not a great sleeper. So that's been a lifelong battle. But I don't know, David, are there miracles we don't know about?
2: Religiously or medically? I I think, Albert, that a, a question that would come to a doctor's mind would be, do you have trouble falling asleep? Do you have trouble staying asleep? Both. Because when we hear that complaint, those are the things that we start with to break it down. And they both have different significance. So in your specific situation, what would that be? Well, it's a little bit of
3: both because uh, I know what I'm doing wrong. I'm on the computer late I'm my brain is charged up. I don't do that thing that every article says to do. And that's take down time and prepare for sleep. So that I'm at fault. But when I get to sleep, no matter what, no matter if I take a pill, I'm up almost to the minute, three hours later. It's scary because I look at the clock and it's exactly the same time. And That's just odd. I don't know how to... uh...
0: Has that always been, Albert? Was that your whole life?
3: No. I think for the first, uh, in my 20s and 30s, I never had an issue. I think as I got a bit older, it got worse. And, you know, I know this from, I remember my mother, rest her soul, terrible sleeper. Terrible, terrible. So, you know, some people just have this. And when they get older, it seems to get worse, which that makes sense to me. I don't know why as you get to be 70 and 80, you just want to close your eyes and sleep for 12 hours. It's <laughs> It seems scary in a
2: way. Well, that is the answer, because when you close your eyes, you're not sure you're going to get up. I,
3: I, I actually don't think like that. I, I'm not worried. If, I was saying to somebody the other night, we, we heard about somebody, uh, this young man, that we knew, and he died in his sleep. And I was so jealous. Because <laughs> I thought, I'm never going to die that way. I don't sleep. How could that's, I die in my
0: sleep? That's so what the, are the best way of to running go. For, running for a bus? How are you going to, what do you anticipate?
3: Uh, I don't know. Maybe over a, a bad lunch.
1: <laughs> you know. Like E. coli or like just a heart attack while eating at a bad restaurant?
3: oh, this is a great discussion.
1: <laughs> I need to know. <laughs>
3: yeah, I, I would say, uh, yes, maybe choking. You know, it'd be nice to just go, but I don't think it'll be in my sleep.
2: Albert, before that moment hits you, I want to get as much out of you as I can. at At <laughs> some point, you said you fall asleep, then you wake up and it's always the same time. What time is that? And how many hours after?
3: Here's the honest truth. If I'm working in a film and I have to get up early, I go to bed early and that's much better for me. So if I go to bed at 1030, everything is better. I'll fall asleep and I don't know what time I'll wake up because I haven't had that opportunity since COVID uh, to like have to go and get up at 630. But without doing anything... I stay up way too late. Mm. I'm on the computer sometimes till 12.30, 1. So then I'll get up at 4. And that's sort of the time, like one minute before.
2: Have you ever thought about just going to bed at 4?
3: No. <laughs> no, I, I haven't. But, you know, I could talk to uh, Caltrans and see if I can get a job
2: <laughs> working on that 405 in the middle of the night. But you bring, up, you bring up a couple interesting points about why people wake up. If you're staying up late, this is an important issue. You're, not, you're bypassing your melatonin production. So oh. we, make, we make melatonin between 11 and 2, 11 at night, 2 in the morning, all of us, no matter where we are. If we miss that window, we're losing that circadian rhythm that allows our system to then fall into what are normal patterns and a normal sleep pattern. You start out at a stage one sleep, which is light sleep. You go to two, three, four. Sometimes you go to two, three, then back to one. So the patterns are are different. But ultimately, you want to get into stage four and REM sleep. That's your restorative sleep. So melatonin has a lot to do with how we get there. So if you miss that, that's a problem. People that have sleep apnea and stay up late that's an accentuated problem because they're not getting enough oxygen for them to then get into stage four sleep is much harder. So their sleep is lighter. Uh, And as you pointed out, when people stay up late, they often are eating. So they're stimulating themselves in other ways. Their blood sugar changes, their stress hormones change. So staying up very late has its own intrinsic problems. If you fall asleep, at a reasonable time, and then wake up, then you have to find out whether or not you, again, whether you have sleep apnea, and that's waking you up. That's the most common reason.
3: Yeah, that I don't have.
2: And you brought up a point, Albert, about the way your parents sleep. It's, we are genetically predisposed to our sleep patterns. So if you think about your mother or father, we all tend to sleep like one of them.
3: Now, what are you suggesting? Oh oh oh! oh. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's not anything you. That's not an actionable uh, comment. Nobody
3: <laughs> talks about my mother like that.
0: <laughs> Albert, do you nap? No. And when you get when you wake up at four, because I wake up at four, do you get up or do you go back to bed? Do you have a routine? Well, this or is you- what
3: this is interesting because I have a moment where I could go back to sleep, and then the longer I so- don't do that, I'll get up. And then I'm in trouble because I'll watch Joe Scarborough at four in the morning, and then I'm back in bed at five. But that's only when I can sleep as late as I want. Again, none of this applies if I have to get up and go to work. But if there's no time, I'll get up and maybe have a little something and watch TV and then go back to sleep then. And that's all right. Then I can sleep for another three, four hours. I take melatonin sometimes, David. Does that count? Does that fill in that gap?
2: It counts if you take it within that window and you're going to sleep. Oh, so it's really
3: that window.
2: Yeah, it's that window. And the other thing is people that can't fall asleep, it's usually because they're worrying and they're ruminating and that keeps them awake. And there's another group of people that can't fall asleep because they don't want to go to sleep they don't want to miss anything they want to be stimulated they stay those are the people that generally stay up late and albert left on your own that's who you are if you have a responsibility the next day you go to bed earlier and you you know you pay attention to that that's why you're albert einstein you're smart enough to know the difference
3: yeah well i uh i bought this over-the-counter product that has a little th it's called uh I'm not endorsing it because I don't (laughs) even know if I like it. But, you know, they put some name like Drift Away, which I thought it meant, you know, the end of life. I got scared to take it. (laughs) But it was this, or they had one called The End, and that one I was too scared of.
0: (laughs) That sounds final. That's pretty serious.
3: And then they had one that was a little cheaper called Nobody Will Remember You. (laughs) I'm going to take that. But uh, this product has a little THC and it has melatonin. And now I'm addicted to that and I don't even know if it works, but it's Ritual. I'm telling you, it's it's a ritual. You taste it, and then your brain goes, oh, that little funny taste, and that must mean bedtime. And <laughs> if you fill that bottle up with vinegar, I think it would work the same.
2: <laughs> Albert, does it have CBD in it, or is no, it just it has, THC? No, it has
3: actual THC, but it doesn't make you stoned. It just, I don't, you know, listen, I don't smoke for years and years and years. I did when I was younger, and I'm almost a little jealous I stopped because I go into these stores, and there's 4,100 brands, and they're all specific. And the guy says, well, what do you, do you want to laugh for 10 minutes and then have half a sandwich? (laughs) Yeah. Yes, always. Always. Right. And I, I don't believe any of it, but it's such an intrigue here. Here, I know what your problem is. You could sleep for two hours, get up for a minute, pretend you're peeing and go back to sleep for 20 minutes with this. But don't take the other because that'll work. So this is supposed to, you know, put you to sleep. And uh, and I, I've tried it and, and it, it does seem to help going to sleep. It does seem to make you tired. And maybe it's just the melatonin, but it doesn't keep me to sleep.
2: How much melatonin is in that product? Does it give a milligram? No, it doesn't. Or I can't read it if it does. Don't they legally have to put it on there, David,
0: the milligrams or no?
2: Legally, they do. And there's no CBD out there that doesn't have THC. You can't extract all the THC from CBD. So you're not going to ever find pure CBD.
3: I'm sorry I've tried CBD in so many forms and I it just doesn't do anything. I I think that's a placebo. I don't know what it does. Maybe it maybe it does, but I've not had any, any success with it. Now wait, I'm going to look here and actually see if it what it has. It just says here if you're reading this you're still awake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, wow. Another measure of how we sleep is how we dream, if we dream, and what kind of dreams are we having. It's common that if you are sleep deprived, when you start finally getting restorative sleep, those dreams may be very chaotic. If your dreams are less chaotic, it tends to be associated with normal sleep patterns that's another sort of indicator as to how well you're sleeping and uh, how troubled you might be during that sleep
3: what if you don't dream much at all is that good or bad
2: well it's usually not good because it you to dream you have to be in in stage four rem restorative sleep Uh-oh. so if you're not if you're not dreaming <laughs> that that is an indicator that you're you're in the lower levels and to Peter's point, the next day you're usually tired and you want to nap, and it's usually around 4 o'clock. There's a reason for that also, because at 4 o'clock, your body produces another dose of cortisol, of stress hormone, as it does at 7 a.m., which is another reason that people can wake up naturally around that time, because around that time, your body is waking you up. Uh, again, all, all of this depends on your melatonin and your, and your normal cycling. So it's a pretty complicated set of issues. And medicines, by the way, th- those of us that are over 30 and are on 30 <laughs> medicines, the medicines can do that, and they can interact and inhibit your sleep patterns. So there are a lot of reasons. But Albert, you know how to do it. You know if tomorrow you had a job that started early, you would do it.
3: Yeah, I don't dream as much as uh, I would like to. I very rarely dream.
0: Anna, no, you. you oh, I changing. have insane
1: dreams all the time, and in fact, I feel like I'm not getting enough deep sleep because it's just, it's it's chaos, it's anxiety, it's teeth falling out, it's not knowing the test, taking the class, it's constant. I'm, I'm over it. It's funny how many people have
3: that, that scare that 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 must be such a major emotional trauma for a kid that so many of us dream about not being prepared for the test
1: or getting on stage. I didn't have the script or getting whatever it is, whatever the version of that.
3: I had a brand new dream uh, a week ago, never had it before. I was not prepared, but when I got to school, A.I. had written the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> I got a B+. Plus. <laughs> I, was, I was over the moon. That's great. That's really oh my great. my gosh.
0: This whole new generation is going to have that dream instead of <laughs> arguing.
3: I used to have dreams of doing of performing, and nothing was prepared. Yeah. yeah. I mean, going out on stage with nothing, like on a big live TV show. No, I didn't have it all the time, but, you know, that was uh, sort of the same as not being prepared for the test. Just not being prepared. It's, it's not a good feeling.
0: Were you? I'm curious, Albert, because you also did unique stuff when you did TV, when you did the Carson appearances. They were yeah. always going to, attention getting off the wall and also pushed an envelope. So I'm guessing because it's not like indicative of somebody else's comedy. Were you nervous that you're going to commit to something that may not work? Or did you just go for it and you were excited to do it?
3: Well, without going into uh, detail, I, uh, Rob Reiner just did a documentary on my life that's going to be on HBO early next year. And I, we address this in the documentary in a fascinating way, I think. But just to answer your question quickly, I had no nerves up till about 28 years old. I, cause I started, you know, I didn't ever try out anything in a club. I just tried it out at home in my bathroom and I would go down and do it on national television. That's amazing. I did 80 variety shows like that, you know, at Sullivan and Hollywood palace and, and Johnny Cash. And then I went to did 30 Carson shows. I never tried out anything and I never, ever got nervous ever. And then I was on the road, and I was in Boston, and I was in between two shows. I had sold out this club for a week, and the first night I had done my first show, and the hotel was across the street, so I went back there to rest. And all I can say is, and I, I think now I know what happened. I couldn't tell you then. My father died when I was really young, like 11 and a half, and he was sick my whole life. So I sort of, I shut off. I understood as a little kid that this guy was leaving and I was sort of going to trick God and say, I'm not going to get close to this person. You're not going to, I'm just going to close down. And that's the way I was. And I was closed down and it was great for performing. It wasn't great for being a human. Certainly as a writer, it wasn't good. I wasn't going to get to go deep. And then, But I didn't have enough knowledge to say it's time to open up. But nature did it for me. And in between these two shows, it's like everything I never wanted to think about hit me in literally a second. Literally. And my life changed. And uh, I had to deal with that. And then for the rest of my life, I was normally nervous. But it was so unnatural, I would get freaked out by it. Until I learned that, hey, you can be nervous and perform. Wow! But but to answer your question, for the majority of my <clears throat> live performing, nothing. If I was doing Ed Sullivan, which was a live show, I could be talking to you like this. They'd have to tap me on the shoulder. You're on. Oh, I'll be right back. It was wow, nothing. nothing. Wow. And I miss that because <laughs> that was the, I liked that.
0: Yeah, Albert, I remember vividly the thing that got me. And of course, if you haven't seen it, Albert doing a ventriloquist act where he's the ventriloquist and he's pouring water down the dummy's throat, which is hilarious. But I remember <laughs> the when you came out and did impersonations by putting hot foods in your mouth. Yeah, yeah. It made an indelible mark. Any Indelible food. mark in any food. Indelible mark to me because even watching that from home in Philly, not knowing I'm going to be out in L.A., but loving comedy, I'd never seen anything like that, number one. And number two, I'd never seen Carson laugh that loud because you yeah. fully committed to, do, to doing it. You had like Tupperware with hot food in it.
3: Yeah, I I had one show where he left the the desk and ran to the curtain laughing, and they told me later that in 30 years that was only twice, <laughs> and so that was cool. You know, I got him out of the desk. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so that was sort of an interesting part of my life is that I was had no nerves, and then I had too mm. many nerves, and then it balanced out. Then it was, you know, normal. But I remember my mother, my father was a very famous radio performer, but he was ill, and he sort of retired and stopped doing it. But I remember my mother used to say that he threw up before every show. And they used to say that about Red Skelton, literally throwing up be- right before they went on. So, you know, some people, that's the way they handled it. You hear all kinds of stories. If you're not nervous, you're not going to do it right. And that's you're supposed to be and all that. But I sort of liked being dead to the world. <laughs> <laughs> it's easier. I miss it. Much easier. Maybe it was like sleep. <laughs> Maybe I, maybe I was having a great waking sleeping life.
2: Albert, you you have these issues as a performer, but you've also directed a lot of very big name people. Yeah. Do you get the? Did you get that same issue when you were directing these people?
3: Only once, David. Um, I I did before one of the movies, and I tried to get. Actually, I directing was fine. I didn't want to appear in one of them. I don't know why exactly. I just thought, oh my God, I'm not going to, it's too much. And, and then I tried to get a movie star and I never tried again. It was a nightmare. This was a lost in America. There was a short period where I thought, I, maybe I shouldn't act in this. So I thought, hey, Bill Murray would be good. I sent him a script, his agent said he loves it, he can do it in three years. <laughs> it was really, it was 1982. He said he would be good in 1986. I said, What are you, what are, you are you crazy? So I then I realized it's just just acting it. I can't deal with this. This is nuts. Waiting years for people. But that was different because it was safer. It wasn't live it wasn't you know the the Ed Sullivan you're going out in front of 50 million people you want it to be right a movie's protective because if it's bad you you do another take you know i didn't it wasn't the same kind of issue of of a live performance
0: and by the way when you were on sullivan those are the days of three networks so like the beatles you 50 million people watched that on a, on a sunday night a third of the country or half the country saw you. We
3: were talking about that the other night. Johnny. When I would do Johnny Carson, that was 14 to 15 million people. That was his audience. You know, I mean, that world is gone. There's nothing that gets that. You know, my, I'm such, my closest friend, Rob Reiner, we were talking about this last night, actually, when he would do All in the Family. The country had 200 million people. 50 million watched that show a quarter of the United States would watch that show. And that's just the way it was. If you had a hit show and you didn't get that, you didn't get renewed. So now, you know, a show gets a million, they take out an ad. (laughs) And the late night shows, forget it. I experienced when I started, when I started to do Letterman, about somewhere in the mid 2000s, you realized... If you didn't call somebody and say, watch me tonight, nobody ever called you. And that just wasn't the truth in the old talk show days.
0: In the beginning, yeah. When you, when you
3: did a Carson show, everywhere you went the next day, everybody saw it. Especially here in LA, because it was sort of a show business kind of audience. But the dry cleaner, great show last night in the market, great show <laughs> yeah. last night. You go ahead and you do Jimmy Kimmel who I love, great guy. Nobody will say anything. They just won't. It doesn't work that way anymore. And it almost doesn't work that way on any television. It's so much product and it's so divided that it's, it's the water cooler is gone, which it's unfortunate, but it doesn't exist anymore.
0: Yeah. Well, it's also it's also divided the country, and that there's no huge shared experiences anymore. Like that's that. what
3: I'm saying. And and you know you know what is and why it's so expensive? Sports. That's the last yep. remaining live experience, mm-hmm. and yeah. that's why these yep. teams are worth all the money. But everything else, and the other funny thing about the water cooler effect now, especially the networks that like Netflix that dump everything at once. Even if you wanted to talk about it, your friends are going, no, 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 no. Don't say a word. (laughs) I'm only on two. Don't say a word. So you can't can't even share it. But in the original days where you had to watch it live, then the next day you talked about it. And that I miss that because it's fun to talk about stuff you've seen.
2: Albert, I want to I want to bring you back to something that might resonate with people listening your dad dies at you're 11. you actually one of the first times I met you you played me that tape from the Friars Club that was I mean yeah that was my dad died
3: on the stage. My dad retired from the radio but he still he was a loved the Friars Club and he would do the he would do these roasts the uh, uh, these big events and in 1958 they let in Lucille Ball They never let in a woman before. And it was a huge event at the Beverly Hilton. It was Lucy and Desi. And the dais was, you know, Sinatra and Tony Bennett and Milton Berle and my dad, who went under the stage name of well, that was he, was he was a Greek dialect comedian. And he wiped the audience out. I mean, I was a little kid. I was helping him with a routine, running the tape recorder. And he got up, did his 10 minutes, wiped them out, went back to the dais and died.
2: They but you heard pushing. that. You, you heard the thud on the table.
3: No, you, yeah. I wasn't there. They, no, I but, don't
2: mean, you did, but the-, no,
3: the record, you can hear the record. His routine is on the record, wow. but it you don't hear that. But the record stops about a minute later, and that's the end. Everybody went home. You know, they stopped. They didn't finish the event, obviously. The funny thing was, is that there was a very big singer at the time, Tony Martin, and he had a number one hit and Tony Martin was on the dais. And Milton Berle said to him, my dad's there, he's dead. Milton Berle says, get up, get up. Do, sing something, sing something. He sang his hit. You know what his hit was? It was called, There's No Tomorrow. So <laughs> oh, that, that didn't place.
2: Oh, oh. <laughs> I want to go back to my question. I think all of us look at our parents when they, the, age they were when they died yes. and most people will get will think about this as they're approaching that birth date and it's a benchmark for everybody now you're 11 and so at was there a point in your life after you hit 12 and beyond that you thought okay I'm out of the woods I'm okay or has that never changed
3: no it's, it's well I have two older brothers and my middle brother passed So that didn't help me a lot. But my older brother is quite a bit older and is still healthy. So I look to him. My mother lived to 93. So, you know, there's a little hope there. I think for me, the tough was getting to my father's age. Because my father died at 54. So when I turned 54, that was not fun. That That was the weird part. And, you know, since then, it's like, I don't, I don't have his genetic pool to, to relish. But, you know, what, what he died of, you can't even get anymore. They, they cured it. David would know it was called, he had Paget's disease, where I believe the spinal cord fuses to the vertebrae. And I don't think people get that anymore. They somehow have cured it.
2: No, but, we, don't, you know, we don't see that much anymore.
3: Yeah. So it wasn't like, you know, he had some kind of cancer that I was gonna get.
2: But it is an interesting phenomenon to me as a doctor that people will come in and say, Boy, I'm I'm gonna be fifty-four. And you know, to my thinking is well, <laughs> I hate you, but they they will always have that by the
3: way, David all says it. that to all his patients. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: he does. His, this is why it's called Bedside Matters. <laughs> I hate you.
2: <laughs>
1: by the way, my mom always said that. My mom always said, She goes, You know, you die, you die the average when your parents died, you die the average. She said it so many times. And I realized a couple years after she died, I was like, Oh, she did it. She she died the exact average oh. of her parents. I was like, Did she? Did she like create that or something? Cause wow. then I was like, I had to like be, get it out of my head. Cause I was like, I don't, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to tell that story.
3: I had dinner the other night with Norman Lear, who I love. Norman Lear is going to be 101.
1: Oh my in God. Jo- that's awesome.
3: July. And he's remarkable. Yeah. He's remarkable. He, he's, it's like, he feels better than I do. <laughs>
0: And does he have some memory all there? Yes, it's
3: all there. And you know what happens? When they even brag. They start to recall things from fifty years ago (laughs) in detail. All right, already. Amazing. When I was working with Jerry Lewis, one day it was raining. It was like late August. All right, shut up. You know.
1: (laughs) Does he smoke cigars?
3: I think he occasionally smokes cigars, but he should he should
1: come out with the Norman Lear cigar.
3: No, he does smoke cigars because he used to have that at his. I'm not a cigar smoker, but he used to have these little things at his house where the cigar smokers would come. Right, but you know, he just lived. He just lived a life. He didn't didn't oh. didn't uh, stress over it.
0: Gosh, well, I envy you growing up with Rob as a, as a, because yeah. I've got to know Carl a bit, and Carl was one of the most amazing people I ever well, met. I
3: loved Carl, and when my, and I met Rob when I was about 14, and Carl was my surrogate father. I used to go over, but when I didn't, didn't matter to me if Rob was there or not, I would just hang out with Carl. And the greatest thing in my life is that when I was in high school, Carl was on the old Tonight Show when it was still in New York. And Johnny Carson said, who's the funniest person you know? And he said, two people, Mel Brooks and a 14-year-old kid named Albert Einstein. Wow. Albert. Wow. That's amazing. And that was like life-changing, you know? Rob always said you were the only kid who could make these adult professional comedians roar. (laughs) <laughs> so, you know, it, maybe that was why I didn't try anything out. Some part of my brain thought, I, I can do this. You do yeah. it.
0: If you can make them laugh and they're yeah, the, the, yeah. The, the top guys, I guess anybody.
3: But do But lo- I, I loved Carl. You ready to go to sleep? Yeah, I'm going to try to take a quick nap now. Does the Ambien work for you, by the way? No. But again, I break a little piece of it and it's like a ritual. I don't think it does anything. I, I swear to God, if you put a sugar pill there, I don't think it I don't think it does anything. I don't take a lot of it, and I don't take it all the time. but uh, you know I, I it's like I'm so jealous of I used to hear Bob Hope talk about sleeping, and he you know, hey, I'm on my way to Vietnam the thing I sleep on the plane. I love it. and I'm thinking, how do you sleep on a plane? It's no. something I could never do. Nobody who does that. My wife. My wife oh. will do her seatbelt, have a little salad, and be out till you get to Tahiti. I'm telling you, I'm jealous of it. It would be... and You know what? I'm a very, very lucky person. I'm so lucky. I thank God. I'm just lucky. But if I could change anything, it would be close my eyes, go to sleep whenever I want to. That would be the only thing I would like... And that new Bentley SUV. <laughs> I love the podcast. I, I hope people are taking advantage of uh, of your brilliance and listening. And uh, I wish you all great things.
2: Albert, thank you, man. Thank all you right, very guys. much. All Albert right. Brooks, everybody.
0: Well, so that was a very special episode. When do you get to discuss medical conditions, the world, Norman Lear, everything else with Albert Einstein?
1: This is literally one of the highlights of my life. That was awesome. If you guys have a question for Dr. Kipper and you want to ask it and you're not famous, that's okay. You can go to bedsidematters.org and submit your question and it just might get answered on the show.
0: Or we may surprise you with another caller that you didn't expect. Again, if you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, follow us at bedsidematters.org. And David, that was wonderful that Albert called in. I know he's a longtime friend, so thank him when you see him.
2: No, I will. That was fun. The
1: information on bedside matters should not be understood or construed as medical or health advice. The information on bedside matters is not a substitute for medical or health advice from a professional who is aware of the facts and circumstances of your individual situation. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your friends. We'll see you next time.